Father, we just thank you for the day you've given us. Uh, Father, we thank you for all the wisdom you you have, and Bob is willing to share it with us. Ask right now that you would bless the food that we're going to get uh, for our nourishment and bless us for your service always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. She'll show up again. James, the letter of James, who was called the just, the righteous one. Uh, uh, and I've already identified him as the brother of Jesus. <laughs> this is a this is the most Jewish of all the New Testament books. Uh, it was interpreted by Luther being contradictory to the teaching of Paul. We'll get to that, you know, not justified by faith only. Uh, but uh, there is very little of the gospel, the announcement of the gospel in James. It, it's more a book of law, of moral, ethical instruction, encouragement, than it is uh, of, uh, of the gospel about what Christ has done for us, died for our sins, and was raised again. That's the gospel, isn't right. it? Oh, yeah. Uh, but he refers to Christ only in his salutation and in this warning. He says in, in chapter 2 and verse 1, he mentions this, My brothers and sisters, do not claim the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of glory by showing partiality. <laughs> So even even here, the name of Christ is put into this uh, this exhortation, right? Yeah, you need to be careful about showing partiality. You're going to claim the name of Jesus Christ. You better not be partial towards the toward, you know, towards certain towards the rich or the well-off. He doesn't say anything about Christ's redemptive work. And, um, that uh, this letter is a reminder, though, that the God who, who does justify us by grace through faith, right, mm -hmm. is still the God who, who says that his commandments are still valid. They're not to be ignored. Just because you're accepted <laughs> by grace, I love you, I'll forgive you, doesn't mean that it's okay to go and do whatever you want to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think maybe there, we understand that, although Paul, there were some people saying about Paul's preaching, they said, Paul, well, if what you're saying is true, why not continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? You say there's always enough grace to cover sin, so just continue to sin. But Paul, Paul responded. He says, to that. "Why not do that?" Yeah, yeah. But that apparently was a, was something probably that was thrown at him. Yeah. I'm so, you see, the reason he would even bring that up is that someone, someone will say, "Yeah." Meaning, meaning I've probably heard this before. You know, mm -hmm. there's always enough grace to cover your sin. Uh, I had that. Uh... <laughs> There you go, back here. <laughs> she's she's talk, talking. She's chatting, socializing. I had a discussion with a young minister some years ago, years ago now, right after the Defense of Marriage Act was struck down by the Supreme Court. He was all excited about all the churches 
rejoicing today because the Defensive Marriage Act has been struck down. And I said, I don't understand that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. I have some coffee. And I'll leave you guys alone. Yeah. I don't want to interfere. Thank you. You good? Okay. <clears throat> so, James 1 1. Let's start here. Somebody read the first verse. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Okay. Here's the author and um, the destination, the recipients to whom he's writing. First of all, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the destination. He says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Uh, that probably refers to Jewish believers, 12 tribes. Right. right? That refers right. to 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. And he says that the dispersion. In other words, these, uh, but they're scattered throughout the world. Yeah, they've been scattered. Yeah. And we know from the book of Acts after Stephen was stoned pretty early in the early church that a great persecution arose mm -hmm. and many of the Christians you know had had to become well they became refugees they right. left and according to uh, the 11th chapter we read that there were a lot of them who ended up in Antioch up in Syria uh, where there was a, a church established uh, that's where that was the church that sent the apostle Paul out on his missionary journeys. So there are a lot of these Jewish Christians. They, you know, they, they, at this time, the church is Jewish. <laughs> you know, Jesus did not come to start a new religion, and Paul was not thinking in terms of starting a new oh, religion. No. Yeah. You know, we read the. In the Gospel of Luke, that after Jesus was ascended into heaven, the disciples went back to Jeru Jerusalem and were in the temple every day. In the temple. <laughs> the temple is for Jewish worship, isn't it? That's the Old Testament worship. So Christianity was, was not a new religion. Uh, they didn't believe the Messiah had come. What? They just all believed the Messiah had come. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, they were. They it was. A, uh, they were looking for the Messiah, and and the resurrection uh, seemed to them proof that he is the Messiah. All right. Um, he says greetings. Yeah, this word for greetings, a Greek charon, charon, charon. It's a kind of guttural sound. There's a lot of those. The word also means rejoice. Isn't that interesting? It also can mean re greetings or rejoice. <laughs> it's related to the word for joy in verse 2. Counted all joys as when you manifest trials. Yarrah, uh, interesting, in, interesting like the word greeting. Shalom. Like the word shalom, yeah. yeah. Hello, goodbye, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I hope uh, I hope you're having a good day. Or, yeah. I hope things yeah. are well with you. Be happy here. So, now James himself, this author, he, he doesn't identify himself any more than as what? What's his identity? 
servant. A servant. A servant of whom? God. And of Jesus Christ. And the, yeah, here, here's the other the place Lord where he Jesus does Christ. mention the Lord Jesus right. Christ. Um, in other words, he is just as committed to and must and is obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ as God. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, are equivalent, aren't they? Even he accepts this now. Uh, now, who is this James? Well, first of all, let me, let's talk a little bit about this word servant. Uh, the, the word here is doulos. And uh, it's translated servant in, in many, most translations. The New Revised Standard Version, the New International Version, and even the King James Version use the word servant. But but it doesn't really mean, you know, like these, this girl, a woman who's waiting on us is, is our servant. She's serving us, right? She came in here and got a job and she's volunteering to do this, getting some pay. You know, and some people might volunteer to serve you without pay. Uh, that's not what this word really means, though. Someone who, who is volunteering. It means someone who actually has to do what they're told to do, and they don't have a choice. It's more like once you get into the military. You are a doulos of the United... If you're in the military of the United States, you're a doulos of the United States government, right? You do what you're told. You go where you're told. You sleep where you're told to sleep. You eat what you're told to eat. <laughs> and uh, you march when they tell you to march, right? Yeah. Now, that's a doulos. <laughs> yeah. You know. You do lots of stuff. And, and, and not just a volunteer, you know, servant. And James identifies himself that way. But, and to call oneself a slave of God, but that did not in the Old Testament, at least, indicate drudgery, but an honor and a privilege. I guess it would be the way that, you know, people who volunteer to serve, become a Marine or a soldier, they consider it an honor. You, you volunteer, but once you volunteer, you don't have any choice but to do what they say, or they can throw you in the brig. But that, you know, most, most men consider it an honor to serve. Uh, there are several Old Testament, this was associated with several Old Testament men. Uh, it was associated with Israel. Israel was God's slave. Uh, Moses, David, so forth. Elijah were all called slaves of God <clears throat> in his service. I'm bound to obedience. And so maybe, let me ask you this. you think of yourself that way? I'm a slave. I'm bound. I don't have any choice. Got to obey. Hmm. <laughs> well, that's the way we James try. looked at himself. We try. We, try. <laughs> we choose not to look at it that way. 
Well, that's the way James I, looked I, at I it. Know, I know. That's, we're studying the book of James. Now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's the connotation of the word now. It cha it's changed a little bit. So. The word slave. slave. Is yeah, changed. that's yeah. yeah. Well, maybe that's what's a politically incorrect word. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I like servant though, because it does. It seems more of a free will choice situation. Yeah, yeah if you're a servant, to, to us a servant is somebody like a waitress. <clears throat> but then, like, uh, if you think of Noah, he didn't have much choice in, <laughs> in his service. He tried to run from it. I don't know that he was actually identified as a slave, but you're right. <laughs> <clears throat> he considered uh, what God had said to, to be an order. Uh, you can not something. Well, here's a, here's something you might want to think about doing something. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> yeah, just build this little boat. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I meant Jonah too. Jonah. Jonah. Well, Jonah. 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 Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Jonah still, tried to run for it. No, Jonah, Jonah did. Yeah. It. Jonah is the one I was thinking of because yeah, he he wasn't a break, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Uh, he he. Uh, <laughs> He was not a very good slave, was no, he? No, he wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have much of a choice either. Well, God kept after him, didn't he? Uh, uh, and then he finally did what God said, but he uh, he, he didn't like it. Still, he did it reluctantly. Like he I'll didn't say. like the results. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was sorry those Ninevites repented. Uh, um, uh, who is this James? There are four James, people named James in the New Testament. By the way, that's, that's uh, also equivalent to the Old Testament Jacob, Jacob and James. Uh, and uh, the uh, one was a father or perhaps a brother. The, the Greek word could be translated as a relative. Um, of Judas. I think he's called the father of Judas the Apostle in Acts chapter 1. There's a list of the 11 you know, who remained after Judas Judas killed himself, but there's a Judas or a Jude, sometimes Jude in Acts, still in Acts 1.13, who, and he's identified as the, who, as the father or not. Uh, as a father, a brother of, of Judas, one of that is, that is this James. James was either the father or brother of this Judas, and two were apostles of Jesus. James, the brother of John, we know him, don't we? James, the brother of John, James and John, and J there was James, the son of Alphaeus. And then finally, there is James, who is traditionally identified with James, the brother of Jesus. John chapter 7, verse 5 mentions, and I think there's a verse in Matthew, mentions the, the brothers who came looking for Jesus. And I, and I think it mentions three of them, uh, three or four of his brothers, um, or half-brothers. Yeah. And among them is James. There's anything said, and you know, apparently in the Gospels, uh, they did not. They thought, and in fact, one of the Gospels doesn't say they thought he was kind of out of his mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Hey, hey, what is this? What is our brother doing out here? <laughs> and, uh, he's got all this, these people following him, and, uh, making these claims, doing this teaching. He a little bit in over his head. Was kind of, I think was kind of their feeling about him. Uh, it's kind of hard, to, you know, to see one of your own brothers being the Messiah. <laughs> if it was hard for other people to see it, right? You know, yeah. if you've grown up with him, you've you played with him in the yard, yeah. you know, and uh, you've eaten with him ever since he was eight, seven or eight years old. And most see, of the, most of the people never had the not same problem. Not for you. Yeah. No, he, he, was, he was the son of the carpenter. I mean, yeah. he was just, uh, but uh, particularly if you've been that intimate right. with him right. as a child for several years. Uh, it's pretty hard to think of him as your Messiah, as God incarnate. Not that kid. Yeah, not that kid. But, uh, but traditionally, we do have uh, uh, some of the early church fathers referring to this James as the brother of Jesus. Uh, and he, he, we do know that he became a, an elder in the church. We might call him the presiding elder because he seemed to to uh, to be in reside in Jerusalem at the church when they had a big council to consider whether to admit Gentiles without circumcision, to baptize Gentiles without circumcision. Uh, James was the one who, at the end, stood up and summarized the conference and the conclusion that they came to, and um, so he seemed to be the, the leading person there. Uh, one of the church fathers calls him the first uh, bishop of the church at Jerusalem. Uh, <clears throat> the record that was the first to be elected to the Episcopal throne of the Jerusalem church. That's the way uh, um, Eusebius. And who is who is quoting somebody, uh, Clement of Alexandria? So that, that goes back to the to the second century. That was a tradition that he was the first one elected to the episcopal or throne, meaning the overseer, the bishop. Now, well, then we we'll look at. Verses 2 and 3. Um, while y'all are eating, I'll read them. <clears throat> My brothers and sisters, whenever you face various trials, consider it all joy because, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance complete its work so that you may be complete and whole, lacking in nothing. Okay, so he addresses them as his brothers. Now, the New Revised Version and, and some of the later versions add sisters because they, they want you to know that when, that when they, the masculine term is used, that didn't mean to exclude the women. 
just in case you King didn't know that. James brethren. <laughs> just, just so the women in the church would know that this meant you, you too. They, they, you're not excluded from uh, this e exhortation. Um, his brothers, writing to his brothers. Uh, when you face various trials, well, these, these people were facing trials. Uh, was because they had been scattered abroad. They were refugees. They had to leave their homes in Jerusalem uh, because of, the, of their faith. Uh, there was this great outcry after Stephen got himself killed by being a little too honest and forthright in his preaching. Um, so they, they were in a difficult situation. <laughs> and so he, he doesn't start out by saying, I, I sympathize with you. I, I know that this is really hard, and I can understand how uh, depressed and sad and you must feel. He doesn't give him any sympathy, really, does he? This is not an, it's not, an it's not an expression of sympathy for people who are suffering. He says, count it all joy. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's being kind of hard-nosed, isn't it? Count it all joy. The... Uh, I've just finished a study of Philippians. We did Philippians here a few years ago, uh, down at uh, Suncoast, with a group there. And that little book, you know, Paul says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice, and he's, he talks about how joyful he is, even in the midst of his, his uh, trials and tribulations. Count it all joy. Do you... Let me ask you this, with whatever, as you think about your, your interactions with your own brothers, sisters in the church, when people are going through hard times, how often does it sound like they're counting it a joy or are they, are they grumbling? Grumbling. They usually grumble most of the time. If you think about it, this really, this really hits home to all of us. We're going through a hard time. We like to complain. We, we like looking for sympathy by complaining. Especially those of us who are getting older and have all kinds of health problems. <laughs> Teach the seniors. Um, Sunday school class on time. I did. He's probably talking more about trials connected with persecution here, right. specifically. Right. But even then, you know, uh, if you're being persecuted, what are you most likely to do? Complain about the persecutor. Mm -hmm. Look at these terrible people. You know how awful they are. God's going to get them, I bet. <laughs> I hope they go to hell. <laughs> So here's a here's a verse to remember by, right? To live by. Count it all joy. Now these tef difficulties, he says, uh, these trials, 
are a testing of your faith. In fact, the word for trial and testing are have come from the same root. It could even be called, uh, it's also sometimes translated temptation, because a trial is a temptation. Mm -hmm. For example, Jesus was hungry after 40 days, right? Yeah. That's a trial <laughs> to have to go without going without bread for 40 days. But then he's tempted to use his power to turn a stone into bread. So trials often become temptations. <laughs> If, uh, if you're warned, you know, if you'll renounce your faith, then things will go better for you. Well, you're under trial, aren't you? That's a, which is a real test and then also a temptation. So he says, but, but he says, count it joy, because the testing of your faith produces endurance. Uh, endurance is a sign of strength, isn't it? Um, New King James Version says patience instead of endurance. Produces patience. Patience. That's which version? Uh, New King James Version. The New King James? Yeah. Um, but that's a, that's a strength too, isn't it? Patience. Sure. Patience yeah. really means holding on when, thing, when it's not easy. When there's a temptation to, to kind of give up or go another direction or not to just keep hanging on. That's patience. Uh, without complaining and so forth. Uh, and the only way you develop endurance is through a trial. I like, I'm not saying that's a bad translation, but I kind of like this word endurance. <laughs> when you, uh, how, how does an athlete gain endurance? What's up for you? Please, practice, practice, practice. Well, I remember at the end of practice, though, in the practice, what's that? that's, that's the way you increase your skills. Right. How do you increase your endurance? <laughs> well, but I, I played a little football. Coach always made us run wind sprints at the end of practice, one after the other. That's how you gain endurance, right. isn't it? Right. If, if you're not going through some difficult, if you don't make it hard, and, and even the practices, they have to be intense and hard to gain much endurance, don't they? Right. That's the way you learn to endure, is by going through hard, hard times and trials, which may uh, lead, lead to a question. How many hard times are you going through? How many hard times do we go through? Trials. Testing. Or is it pretty easy for us? In comparison to those people back in James' time, 
we got real easy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's nobody telling us that we, we can't gather from like we here. How are you doing? Good to see you. Good morning, guys. So, have a good day. It's way easier. So, how much endurance do we have? Probably not nearly as much. Yeah, that's, that's kind of sobering to think, you know, if we were really put to the test, could we, could we hold on? Would we be patient and to endure? And, and, you know, Bob, that's why groups like this or your connect groups at, at church or the in-home connect groups, that's why they're so important because maybe that helps to breed some of that endurance because you're, we're speaking about it, we're thinking about it. So if something bad happens, then rather than complaining, oh, wait a minute, we just talked about that. I don't, I don't need to be like this. I need to be like that. But if you're just by yourself, you can run off the rails very easily. Uh, <clears throat> these are tests of your faith, and they produce endurance. But they're, they're tests of your faith. Do you really believe? You say you believe. <laughs> but God does test us, doesn't he? For real. Do you really believe? First uh, Peter 3 through 9. I, I'd like to kind of look at that to close with it because this is a little bit of an expansion on this. It's a little bit more of what I would call a theological explanation of the relationship between trials as tests of faith and, and the work of Christ for on our behalf. Uh, James doesn't do that quite like Peter does. First Peter. Uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Uh, <coughs> Tell me your name again. I'm sorry. Da David. David. I'm going to get that. David, read the... Uh, uh, Three through nine. Uh, let's just read through um, verse. Um, through first, verse four. Through verse four? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So starting with three. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Okay. So he begins this exhortation and his discussion about uh, trials a little later on in verse 6. But he begins it by this uh, benediction and, and reminder of the, how blessed God is and what God has done, his great mercy, uh, a new birth into a living hope, a hope for uh, through the resurrection of Jesus, what Jesus has been raised from the dead and the hope of this inheritance. So he gives a real 
theological basis, a basis in, in, in the work of Christ, he's reminding them of that. James doesn't really do that. He just says, count it all joy, you're suffering. Okay, but then verse 5, uh, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, you're already protected by God's power uh, through faith. That is, your faith is a protection. It's a, just a trust. And incidentally, salvation is something that, that really we do not have at this point. Not in the fullest sense. It's to be revealed in the last time. Does anyone need coffee? Anybody want more coffee? I'm good. Thank you. Um, Larry, you want to read verses 6 and 7? Sure. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and the honor and glory of the appearing of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, he doesn't submit much mention it as an exhortation like James does. James says, as an imperative, count it all joy when you suffer trials. He says, in this, because he says, in this you rejoice. In what? What is this? He's been talking about Jesus, had mm -hmm. the resurrection, the living hope, the inheritance. In this you rejoice. That's that's really you don't you don't really rejoice because you're suffering. <laughs> John, John, uh, James says, count it all joy, but you don't. <laughs> It's not because you got the trials. That's not a joy. Right. Uh, the joy comes from the fact that Christ has died for you and has been raised again, and you have a living hope, an inheritance with him. So that even if now, for a little while, you have to suffer, in, the, in, in your salvation in Jesus Christ, in the, you, you rejoice in that even though things are pretty tough right now. Uh, but uh, he, he does go on to say that there is a purpose for this in verse 7. What's the purpose? Something about, I don't know how the tra your translation is, this is the genuineness of your faith. That's pretty much the same phrasing. The genuineness of your faith. Is there such a, such a thing as faith that's not really genuine? Yeah. You know, we, is this James 7? James 1 7? Yeah. Peter 1. Mine says, oh, Peter 1. We're bound Peter. Yeah. Verse 7. Yeah. First Peter. So this is just, uh, this, this really manifests how real your faith is. Uh, and the great, greatest example of that kind of testing was when it, 
God told Abraham to take his son and slay him, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Abraham, uh, over and over, we've been reading in Genesis how Abraham believed God. Every time God made a promise to him, Abraham believed him, believed and trusted him. And finally, God said, okay, well, let's see. Let's see how, <laughs> see how much you believe. Right. <laughs> Can you imagine what a trial that was? Oh. To place your son on an altar, yeah. raise a knife. Yes. Well, God said, I think your faith is real. <clears throat> your faith. Uh, <clears throat> more precious than gold. You don't have much gold. You don't have much money in the bank. Well, do you have faith? You got something worth more than gold, don't you? You ever think about about that? That's worth more than gold. Actually, when it comes back, it doesn't make any difference what you have or yeah. don't have. Yeah. We're all we're all in the same boat then. You know, we're all You're not going to take it with you. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> and he says there is this comparison with gold. Uh, you know, uh, you can. Put gold through fire, it doesn't change it, does it? You can heat it to, I don't know how high you can heat it without changing the, the uh, molecular structure. Whereas uh, so many materials are changed, you know. Iron can be changed, wood, of course, all kinds of organic materials and other elements too can be changed if you heat them hot enough. But gold will will uh, survive, and he says that then that's a sign of your faith, uh, which has been tested. Uh, and and the ultimate goal here is so that <clears throat> this genuine faith can be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So the. The Lord can say, "Well, well done, good and faithful servant." Right? That uh, there's an ultimate uh, time when that's going to be manifested. How real your faith has been. Uh, and verses eight and nine kind of include this section here. Sam, uh, read verses eight and nine. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Yeah. Um, just a kind of reminder. Yeah confident that, that to the people to whom he's writing love him even though they don't see him and, and they rejoice they don't rejoice because they're suffering but they rejoice because they they know Christ uh, and believe in him and are receiving the outcome of their faith here the word salvation is used in both senses present tense and future tense isn't it? Uh, 
in verse 5, salvation is, is to be revealed in the last time. In verse 9, you're already receiving your salvation, aren't you? So it's a both and. Future. Well, this is just a start to James. I didn't. I don't have any notes on going on further here. Uh, 